morning uh, before we have uh, the kids come up and, and, and share with us some of the songs they've learned. I want to share with you from Psalm chapter 8. Uh, psalm chapter 8 is a psalm of David. And he says, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? Here's the great mystery that boggles our minds is that the infinite God of the universe who created all things, who is eternal and loving and grateful, uh, gracious and almighty, how he even tunes his thoughts to us, that he would even focus his attention on us as feeble creatures. I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful that there's a God who is not only over all things and created all things and mightier than all things, but that he actually thinks of us and he cares for us. That's a great God who deserves to be worshipped. And this morning, what these children are going to do is they're going to sing and they're going to lead us in praising the God who is above all things. So would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, I pray that you would help all of us in this room to not come here, God, focus on who we are. But God, we would come in here this morning focused on who you are. And that, God, even though we are broken, sinful people, you promise that if we confess our sin, God, that you forgive us from all of our sin. And so, God, we can't praise you enough for the goodness of your hand. That, God, you would provide your son for us, that even though we were sinners, that he would die in our place and take our guilt and shame upon himself. And so, Lord, we pray today you, above all things, would receive honor and glory and might and majesty. God, be with these children as they sing. God, help them to sing because they love you more than anything else in this world. God, I pray that they will glorify your name. And Lord, may everything that be, that's done in this service this morning be a testimony to our love and adoration of you. May you receive all honor and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, but Jody has done a great job. Um, Jody worked really hard to put this together, and she worked really hard to make sure that everyone could be a part of it and we could have something that would benefit our children. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of behind the scenes goes on to doing something like a weekend v VBS because weekend VBSs aren't planned out for you. It's not something that they normally do. And VBSs are either uh, all weekend extravaganzas, but, but we like a weekend VBS, and so Jody put together the entire thing. She put together the schedules and everything of how they worked and the classes, and so she worked really, really hard, and I hope that you'll let her know um, after today just how much you appreciate uh, the fact that she invested herself into this, so I, I thank you, honey, for doing that. It's very special, and, and, and these children have had the chance to hear about Jesus for this weekend, and, and our prayer is that um, whether they've trusted in him this weekend or whether they're going to trust in him later, um, we hope that what we've done this weekend will be uh, to, to let them know that Jesus is worth their worship, and, and he's worth being followed. Uh, and so if you have the chance to follow up with these kids and be able to tell them a little bit more about the gospel and about Jesus, uh, we have tools to be able to help you do that. If you're here and you say, Jason, I don't know how to share Jesus with my kids. I don't know what I would tell them. See me after the service is over because I have some handy things to give to you that I think will be a great way for you to continue to share the gospel. So uh, we want to be a tool as a church, a resource for you. And so if you're a family who has brought your children here, uh, but maybe you don't go to church here, uh, we want you to know that we have uh, things for you that we think would make it very helpful for you to share the gospel at home. Uh, also, if you don't have a church, we'd love for you to come and be a part of our church here at Ferry. 
Fairhaven. Um, but we're just so glad to be able to invest in these kids. And thank you to all the teachers, all the helpers, all the workers. Um, your, your reward may not be here. Your reward is in heaven uh, with a, a God who's pleased. I just want to share briefly this morning from God's word, if you'll allow me, from Psalm 139. So if you would, take a copy of God's word, um, if you have one, and go to Psalm 139. And I'm going to share with you, I promise briefly, I promise briefly this morning. So Psalm 139, if you'll turn there with me, uh, let me just share this with us this, uh, real quick. We're only going to focus on uh, the first few verses of Psalm 139, uh, and then we're going to just kind of bask in who God is this morning. The kids have already been singing about the fact that God is over the moon. He's greater than everything else because he created everything that's in existence, the universe, the stars, us, everything was created by God, and because of that, he's over all of them. And so what I want to leave you with this morning is just a, a quick glimpse of that God and the reason why David praises him in Psalm 139. So in Psalm 139, let me read this to you, the first six verses of Psalm 139. If you are physically able, would you please stand with me this morning in honor of God's word as we read it. Psalm 139, here's what uh, David writes to us. Psalm 139, verse 1, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Lord, help us to understand your word today and help us to love you more and to hate sin more. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody says... Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. George Rogers, a theologian, said this. He said, this psalm is one of the sublimest compositions in the world. How came a shepherd boy to conceive so sublime a theme and to write in so sublime a strain? This psalm is beautiful because it gives us a beautiful picture of who God is from the heart of David who experienced that love and that beauty of God. But I do want to let you know before we get into this that there is something going on in this psalm. God is using words that sometimes we don't understand very well. And, and those of you who go to church here and have heard us been, as we've studied through the minor prophets, he uses things called anthropomorphisms, which is giving human characteristics to God in order to describe him to us, things like his hands. And so we see that this morning. But kids, here's what I want you to walk away with knowing about God this morning. Number one, from these verses, I want you to walk away knowing that God knows your heart just as he knew David's heart. Notice what he says in verse one, Lord, you have searched me and known me. We see God, the true creator God, the unchangeable, the eternal, the wise, the truthful, the loving God, the righteous, knowable God. We find that he has searched and known David. Now, to search and to know means that he knows more than just that you exist. Kids, God doesn't just know that you exist and that you breathe air. But he says here to David, I know you. I've searched you. Now, that's, that's truly comforting for some of us, and it's also very scary for some of us to think that. But it's no less true that God knew David's heart, and he knows all of his creation. He knows each one. An English poet said, God knows everything perfectly. He beholds as distinctly the actions of every man as if that man were the only created being and the Godhead were solely employed in observing him. God knows you so well, it's as if you're the only one he created, and his whole job was to observe you. That's how well God knows you. Woo, doggy, that's either really comforting or scary as all get out. And some of you need to go home and throw some stuff out and, and clean up. But God knows everything. He knows David's 
heart. Not only does he know David's heart, but we also find in verse 2 that God knows David's life. He says in verse 2a, you know when I sit down and when I stand up. Just so you know, that's God's way of saying he knows everything in between as well. God has perfect knowledge of all we've done, are doing, and will do. God doesn't just know David, but he knows David's movings. He knows his life. He knows what he is involved in. He knows what he's a part of. We also see that God knows David's journeys. Look at the rest of verse 2. He says, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. God doesn't just know David. He doesn't just know his life. He knows everything that he's about, everything he's moving and working and doing. He knows his journeys. He says, you know my travels and my rest. And by the way, that's another way of the Bible saying, and everything else in between. God knows those things that are in public, and he knows those things that no one else is aware of. God's knowledge is so great, he's aware of all our ways, he says. I also want you to see, kids, this morning that God knows your words even before you say them. Uh Uh-oh. God knows our words before we even say them. His knowledge isn't limited to just things that come about. God's knowledge is so great that he knows things that will never come about. God doesn't just know things that are. God knows everything that could be. You know, there are things that are in the mind of God that he could have created, but he didn't. God knows not only what comes about, but he knows everything that could have come about. That's why his plan is perfect, is because he doesn't just know what's going to happen. He knows every alternative that could have happened along the way. That's his promise. So his knowledge isn't limited to just what happens. His knowledge is so great that he knows words that you're going to say before you ever say them. Woo, this is a big God. He either scares you or comforts you. God also knows everything. His knowledge is all-encompassing. Look at verse 5. He says, you have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. God's knowledge is, as David describes it, the knowledge of God is all around him. Whether he turns around, God knows. In front of him, he knows. The past, the future, the present, everything God knows. And when David looks at it, he says God's knowledge is all around him. It is behind him, and it is in front of him. We are surrounded by God on all sides. He knows what's before and what will come after. And then finally, I want to show you that God's knowledge is graciously revealed, and it's worthy of praise. Look at verse 6. This wondrous knowledge, David says, is beyond me. It's lofty. He says, I'm unable to reach it. When David thinks about the knowledge that God has, how awesome and how powerful and how all-encompassing it is, you know what he says, kids? When David looks upon that God, he's very thankful that God has revealed himself to him. Because God didn't have to do that. He could have stayed distant if he wanted to. He didn't have to share anything. But guess what God does? He's so gracious that he doesn't leave us in the dark. But he shines the light of truth and he shows us who he is. And that's really worthy of praise. God deserves praise because he didn't leave us on our own. But he came and he showed himself to us. And when David says this wondrous knowledge, he says it's beyond me. He says it's incomprehensible. I can't wrap my mind fully around how wonderful the knowledge of God is. He goes on to say it's lofty. He says I'm unable to reach it. It's inaccessible on our own, but graciously God gives it to us. What we could not find out ourselves, he reveals to us. So this God is worthy of praise because he knows everything, which is good news in some ways. But even if he was all-knowing, 
That's not the full length of why we worship him. Because the psalmist goes on, David goes on to say in verse 7 through 12 that God is an all-present God. He says in verse 7, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You know what God knows about us? Our first response to understand that God knows everything, including everything mom and dad don't see, right? Including all those things that we think, but we don't ever say, and God knows it. God knows that our response to that might be to flee from him. Understanding how great and knowledgeable he is, God understands that as human beings, our first response to who he is might be to run and get away as fast as possible. But here's the problem. David says, where can I escape from your spirit? Where do I flee from your presence? He says, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. That basically means whether you're up at the highest point or down the lowest point of the earth, you still can't flee the presence of God. He is everywhere. He says, if I, if I live in the eastern horizon or settle in, at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. He says, so not only vertically can I not get away from God either high or low, but I can't go this way either. Whether I go east or west, God is still there, and he's faster than light. He's already there. By the time light shows up, think about it, when the sun comes up in the morning, right, the rays of light off the sun just spread quickly. They fly out to the distant horizon. And David says, God's already there by the time the light arrives. He's everywhere. His presence is all-encompassing. Where can I go, he says. And then notice what he says. He says, your right hand, your right hand will hold on to me. So even though God is this awesome God who knows everything, he's also present with us. He's also here, and he promises that his power and his care are both here for us. Not only is he sovereign, but he's incredibly loving, too. I don't know about you, but that's a God who deserves praise, is the one who not only is over all things, but loves each of you and loves me. He says, not even darkness can hide anything. Not even darkness can keep God out. He says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me in verse 11, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Listen, we love the dark because we're able to keep our stuff secret. But this God who knows everything is present, and darkness is even light to him. He sees perfectly. There's nothing that escapes the attention of God. Nothing is hidden from him. Nothing trips him up. What remains hidden from other people does not remain hidden with God. And like I said, that's either a terrifying thought or a comforting thought. And it most likely depends on where we're at with God, whether we are in a relationship with him or not. Because knowing he knows everything is a scary thing if you're not a Christian, but it's a comforting thing if you are. To know that nothing escapes his gaze, nothing escapes his attention, and nothing escapes his knowing. And here's what I want to leave you with this morning. And all my church people will be thankful that this is the shortest sermon I've ever preached in this church. Don't expect it next Sunday. Here's what I want to leave you with. God knows the worst things about you. Kids in the room, God knows the worst thing about you. He knows the darkest secret that you've not told anyone. He knows the, the, the worst thought you've ever had. He knows the worst thing you've ever done to somebody. God knows the worst thing about you. And yet, he loves you more than anyone else does. That's good news. That's why he's not the mean ogre in heaven. That's why he is the loving father. It's because he knows the worst about you, and yet he loves you more than anyone else does. So, 
parents, here's what I want to leave you. Grandparents, as you, as you interact with these children, here's what I want to leave you with. Here's what we need to point them to and remind ourselves of daily. We are all sinners, every single person in this room. You don't have to be 10 or 11 to be a sinner. We're all sinners. And we remain that. And we sin every day. We try to live for God, but we sin. We're all broken. We're all in rebellion against God. We all desire to be our own God. And that's what makes us all the same in this room is that every single one of us is a sinner. And there's only one king. There's only one rightful king of all things, and it's God. And we're accountable to him because he created us. We belong to him. And so the things we do, the sin, our, our attitudes, our affections that aren't towards him, they make us guilty before God. And we deserve to be punished. We deserve to be separated from God forever. A holy God cannot dwell with sinners. And that's the bad news, is that we're all sinners. God is perfect and holy. We're accountable to him. We deserve to be separated from him forever. But God provides rescue. Through Jesus. The reason why Jesus died on the cross, kids, the reason why Jesus died was to take your place, to take the punishment for your sin so that you might be forgiven and you might be rescued from sin. And all God calls on us to do, it's so simple, all God calls on us to do is to believe that his son is the only payment for our sin, that his life, death, and resurrection is what matters to cleanse us from all of our sin and to trust him, to trust him. So kids... Here's what I want for you more than anything out of this week is I want you to believe in the Son of God. I want you to believe that Jesus did die on the cross for you. He lived a perfect life. He died in your place for your sin, and he rose again to show that he was more powerful. And I want you to trust him. Trust in his death on the cross, not in trying to be a good person, but in trying to love Jesus. I want you to trust in him. Parents, grandparents, this is what we need to share with our children, our grandkids, and this is what we need to remind ourselves of every day. We are sinners, but God is an awesome God, and he's provided rescue through his son. So trust and repent and believe in Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask you to be with these kids. I ask you to help them to understand the very simple truth of your word, which is that while they are sinners, you have died. Your son died so that they could be rescued. And so, God, I pray that they will trust in you. Lord, I pray that they will see your work on the cross, and, God, they will give you the glory that is due only your name. Lord, I pray over the days and weeks and months to come that you would just remind these kids over and over again that while they are sinners, Christ died for them and that they might find rescue. And, God, may you save these kids for your glory. God, we pray that you would save the adults in the room, too. God, that you would save us and help us, God, to glorify you with every breath we have. We ask you, God, to do this for your own glory so that you might receive praise and worship. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.